Welcome to Leading Lights. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Praise the Lord. Imagine saying to yourself or to someone else, let's start a church. What shall we do? What shall we make it like? It's quite a bold and weird thing to say, isn't it? And yet I have amazingly had the privilege of saying that in my life several times where you start with a blank piece of paper and you say, what should we do? Well, shall we take a little bit of this type of church and a little bit of that type and add in this? And why don't we have this kind of thing? And why don't we have... It's quite, a, quite an amazing idea, isn't it? And I've had people say to me, well, who the heck do you think you are to start a church? Or why would you even consider that? There's churches already. There's lots of churches. We're doing a, a short series on how does church work or making church work. I'm really embarrassed to have a picture of rugby up on the screen after the, the results of South Africa this, this weekend. But anyway, such is life. At least England won. But we've been talking about church like a rugby team and like a rugby scrum and how church perhaps, and I want to just rock your world a little bit today, perhaps everything we've known of church is not right. Maybe everything we thought church was isn't what church really is supposed to be. Have you ever imagined a food? Somebody says, oh, you've got to try this thing. It was For me, it was baked Alaska. You've got to try it. It's just like food from heaven. It's the most amazing thing. And then you try it, and it's not what they said it was. It's not as good. It doesn't taste as good. It doesn't make you feel so wonderful. And you've got to now consider maybe... It was just their personal preference when they said it was the most wonderful food in the world. Or maybe the person who made it didn't get it right. They didn't follow the recipe correctly. I just want to say that God says, just like somebody said to me, baked Alaska is the most amazing thing in the world. God says the church is supposed to be the most amazing thing in the world. And yet many people have tasted it and have gone, "Mm, I'd rather not. Not so nice. What's the problem? Either God is wrong, or maybe the people who've tried to put church together have got it wrong. And please, let me be clear. I'm not saying we've got it right. I'm not saying we have the answers. I'm not saying we are the only ones who have found the model of church. Not at all. But all I'm saying is let's be on a quest to do church the way that God wants it done. Even if we never completely reach it. That's my mission. That's my goal in life. I want to try and do church the way God says church should be instead of the way some guy or some group of people or somebody said church should be. Let's look at what God says. And let's try. That's what I want to give my life to is trying to do church the way that God says it can be. And that is the most, I believe, the most meaningful and exciting thing that I could ever give my life to. I could give my life to trying to build a career, trying to build a family, trying to build a bank balance, trying to build a sports career, whatever. And all of those things, at the end of my life, I would think, oh, well, it was fun. But the church is the thing that God, Jesus says, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the most powerful and wonderful thing we could imagine. So, James talked about uh, Ephesians 4 last week. I don't know if you've realized this, but Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, is actually 
probably the most important church in the whole of the New Testament. I don't know if you realize that. People often overlook this. They think that the church in Ephesus is just one of many, and then maybe Jerusalem is the most important, maybe Rome. But actually, I believe Ephesus is because the whole book of Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus. Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20 is about the, the church in Ephesus. Timothy, first and second Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy when he was the leader of the church in Ephesus. And the Apostle John wrote all of his books in the Bible from Ephesus or close to Ephesus. And he took over from Timothy as the leader of the church in Ephesus. Most of your New Testament is somehow linked. Oh, and Corinthians was written from Ephesus. And a lot of other books were written from there. There's a whole lot of stuff that happened around this town of Ephesus. And so I think it would be good for us to look at what happened in this church in Ephesus to try. The reason we're looking at it is to try and say, how can we in modern day, 21st century life, emulate what happened then? Rather than let's not just copy what the church has done for the last 20 centuries. Let's look at what God did and how he did it. Let's look at the recipe and see if we can make a wonderful baked Alaska. Is that all right? So I wonder what words come to your mind when you think about the worldwide church. Boring, building, priest, uh, robes, smells and bells, bells and whistles, funny makeup on TV, uh, acting, hypocrites, asking for money. You know, I just think God must be in heaven crying when he thinks about how we, what have we done? He made this beautiful thing called the church and we've just made it into this weird thing. So I want to just look. I'm going to, I considered going through this very quickly. Um, but I want to just take a little bit of time and give you a bit of the context. So I'm going to look at a period of about four or five years around about the planting of this church in this town called Ephesus. Ephesus was a big, vibrant city. It was the capital of the province of Asia, which is Turkey today. And it, there were about 400,000 people there. It was vibey. It was active. Uh, there was a lot going on, a lot of business, a lot of religion, a lot of stuff happening in Ephesus. Paul wanted to go there in Acts chapter 16, and the Holy Spirit said, no, not yet. And so about two years later, he eventually went into Ephesus after he'd been in an, another few cities. But I just want to talk about the background. So, all right, bear with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind to Athens. You know Athens? Anyone been to Athens? No. Where are you? Air hostess. <laughs> Athens. Paul arrives in Athens. Just, I want you to imagine this. And I'm going to tell the story because I believe stories in the Bible are there for a reason. It's not just something that we can read for bedtime reading. Stories in the Bible show us how life is supposed to be. So Paul arrives in Athens and he's alone, which is unusual for Paul. Usually he travels with Timothy and uh, Silas and a few others. But he arrives in Athens alone because he's been chased out of uh, these towns called Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. He's been violently forced out of these cities. He's left Timothy and Silas 
in uh, those towns, Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, and he said to them, come and meet me in Athens when you've stayed there for a while and set up the churches. But Paul rushes off. He arrives in Athens, brand new city. What does he look for? Well, he goes to the marketplace, the Bible says. I don't have time to read all the verses, but he goes to the marketplace. And in Athens, the marketplace, you know, there was no internet. There were no travel agents. There was no TV. So the marketplace was where everything happened. The, the stock market, the philosophers of the day, the business people, the teachers, everything was in the marketplace. Paul's walking around Athens, and it's a town of culture and learning. Um, a lot of clever people. And philosophers who love to just spout, the Bible says, all, all the new ideas. They just all the time were wanting to say, what's the latest idea going on in the world? So Paul goes there. He tries to talk to people about God. And a few people invite him to this place called the Areopagus, which is also called Mars Hill, which was the debating place where all the intellectuals went. And they said, come and tell us your ideas. And Paul goes there and he starts to preach about Jesus. And verse 21, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, and it, and it lists his whole sermon, and he tells them all about God, and he's very eloquent, and he's very intellectual, and he quotes some of their poets. He quotes two of their intellectual poets and he, he's reasoning intellectually with them and he's he's really using his brain because Paul was a very clever guy and he's he's really trying to be clever and uh, in verse 32 it says and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some mocked while others said we will hear you again on this matter so Paul departed from among them amazingly Paul was planning to stay in Athens until Timothy and Silas came down from Macedonia. But he departed from Athens. He's giving this speech in this intellectual place and he's, he's really clever and he's engaging with their intellects. But they didn't respond how Paul wanted. Some of them mocked him and others said, hmm, interesting. What a lovely theoretical idea. I'll hear you again on this matter. And so Paul left Athens in a, in a failing mood. He was, he was feeling, I've, I've completely failed. You know what I find interesting is there's whole churches and movements that call themselves Mars Hill, as if Mars Hill is this great thing to do. And it was Paul's biggest failure, trying to be intellectual. Because then he goes in verse 1 of chapter 18, it says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And I just want to cross-reference the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about how he arrived at Corinth. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. Do you see what happened here? Paul failed in Athens because he was trying to be too clever. And so he went to Corinth. He says, I'm determining, I'm resolving to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. Isn't that amazing? First point. If the church gets too intellectual, if it's just a place to exchange ideas, we've missed the boat. If I preach 
And most of the congregation say, oh, what an interesting thought. I must think about that. We'll come back later. If I was like Paul, I would shake the dust of my feet and go somewhere else. Isn't that amazing? He expects a response. <laughs> Weeping, crying, repentance, change of life. Give my life to Jesus, form a church. That's what Paul was wanting. And when he gets a, hmm, what a fascinating thought. I'll compare that with what I've learned. To do. He leaves. Amazing, isn't it? So let's move on. So Paul arrives in Corinth, and I'm going to move quickly. Verse 2. So Paul arrives in Corinth. It's another big city, a big immoral city. You know how we have a euphemism for prostitute these days, which is lady of the night? Um, the euphemism for prostitute in those days was Corinthian companion. That just shows you what Corinth was like. Corinth was an incredibly immoral city. And Paul arrives there, and... He's thinking he's alone because Timothy and Silas still haven't arrived from Macedonia. And he's thinking, sure, I failed in Athens. I'm in weakness and trembling. Let me preach the gospel. But it says in verse 2, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. So Paul arrives in Corinth and he finds a Jew named Aquila and his wife was named Priscilla. They were tent makers like him. And he said to them, can I stay with you and have a job? Isn't that amazing? The great Paul, he says, can I have a job please? And then he starts to share the gospel with people, but all the time he's working in this tent making job. Priscilla and Aquila have been kicked out of Rome. Historians tell us that Claudius the emperor kicked all the Jews out of Rome because of a man named Crestus. And most historians believe that that's just a mispronunciation of Christ. Basically, the Christians, these little group of uneducated Christians, were overturning the, the Roman world so much that the emperor said, all of you Jews, get out of here. And so Priscilla and Aquila had to run away from Rome, and they moved to Corinth. They started a tent-making business. Paul arrives. They don't know him from anyone. They don't know who he is. And he arrives. He says, can I have a job? And he starts telling them about the Lord. In this chapter 18, it says that he stays in Corinth for 18 months, a year and six months, working. Actually, he stops. Timothy and Silas arrive from Macedonia with a gift from the Philippian church, a, a gift of money. And it says then, when they arrived, Paul stopped working and he devoted himself and he was compelled by the Spirit to just preach the gospel all day, every day. So Paul is there for 18 months in Corinth. God appears to him in a vision and says, don't be discouraged. Don't be scared. I'm with you. I've got lots of work for you to do in Corinth. So Paul stays there and he builds this relationship with Priscilla and Aquila, working with them part of the time, staying with them in their home, preaching the gospel. A church gets established. And now we're about to move on to Ephesus. But I want you to just think about Priscilla and Aquila. You know, I often read about Paul and I, I relate myself to him as much as I can. But I'm, I'm, I'm aware that most of us don't necessarily relate to Paul. But you can relate to Priscilla and Aquila. They were business people. They just had a job. They were trying to make a living. They were trying to live and, you know, just do all the things that they had to do. Paul arrives. He shares with them for a year and six months. And then listen to this. Um, verse, 
18. So Paul remained a good while, then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. And he had his hair cut off at Cantria, for he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus, and he left them there. He left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. So Paul arrives in Ephesus, he's got Priscilla and Aquila with him, and he leaves them there, and then he goes off, and he comes back a little while later. Why is that important? I'm going to get onto that in a minute. Let's skip forward to Acts chapter 19. So Paul has now arrived in Ephesus. And it says, verse 8. Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them concerning the things of the kingdom of God. So Paul arrives in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila are there, so he's got some friends there, and he goes into the synagogue, the Jewish church, and he starts to tell them about the kingdom of God for three months. Um, But when some, verse 9, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, Paul departed from them and withdrew his disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, I want to stay on this bit for a, for a while. Please imagine with me. Paul's arrived in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila are there. He's trying to preach to the Jews, and they're not repenting. They're not re- responding. So he leaves the synagogue, and he goes to a place called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus was just a man who lived in Ephesus, and he had like a school, a hall, like this. And so Paul said, please, can I rent your hall? So Paul rented the hall and every day while he was still working, and I can prove that to you from other verses, but I won't go into it now. Paul was working with Priscilla and Aquila, making tents in Ephesus. While he was still working every day, he would spend some time in this rented hall and he would start preaching the word of God. But now what I want you to listen to and please just focus on is listen to this. This continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. In those few little words, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. 14 words. It's it's an absolute dynamite bomb. Paul has rented a little room. I don't know how big it was. Maybe 200 people sat in it. Maybe 500. I don't know. But it says that for two years, he just taught every day in that room. And everybody who lived in the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord because Paul was working and then he would go to the hall and he would teach for a few hours every day and somehow everybody in the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. How on earth did that happen? How on earth did that happen? Friends, this is the baked Alaska. This is it. What happened here is the key to the church. You know, we look at the Bible and we look at this and we think, okay, well, let's have church and let's do it like this. But actually, if we got the essence of what happened here in Ephesus, it would change church worldwide. It would change our view of church. Paul rented a room and somehow, not just Ephesus heard the word of the Lord. Historians believe there were over 100,000 Christians in Ephesus by the time that Paul finished. A hundred thousand Christians in, Eph- in one city. 
at the end of this two-year period. But not just Ephesus, there were churches planted in every city of the whole province of Asia in the period of two years because something happened. Can I put it to you? That we've got it so wrong when we think that one person, the minister, is the only one who does the ministry and everyone listens and that's how we're going to reach the world. Can I put it to you? We've got it so wrong. We've completely misunderstood the church if we think that a few missionaries who've trained at Bible school and we pay them and they go through a course and they go to other lands, that's going to reach the world for Christ. We've misunderstood the whole essence of Christianity if we think that that's how it's got to be done. If we think church is just coming on a Sunday and listening to a presentation, and many of us think, hmm, that's interesting. I'd like to hear you again on that matter. That is not going to change the world. <laughs> I want you to imagine Ephesus. Let me just read you a few more verses. Verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Remember, he's still teaching every day in Tyrannus' Hall. He's not going around Asia. He's in one place. He's staying in Ephesus, working in the tent-making shop, and teaching in this lecture hall. Verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Why on earth was Paul wearing handkerchiefs and aprons? Have you thought of that? It says handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from Paul's body and the sick were healed. All over. Why was he wearing handkerchiefs and aprons? Because that was his tent-making uniform. Apron and a sweatband around his head while he's making tents. And he leaves the tent shop at 11 o'clock because in those days there was a siesta in the middle of the day. So 11 o'clock he leaves the tent making shop and he comes to the lecture hall and he takes off his sweatband and his apron and he gets ready to preach. Somebody picks up the stuff and goes and it heals people. This is amazing. He's not a, he's not a clergy. He's not a clergy with a dog collar and a long robe and, oh, I am the bishop who is so hot. He's a working man. Listen, let's read on. Uh, it talks about some people tried to copy him and cast out demons and it, it didn't work. And then in verse 17 it says, This became, became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many who had believed came confessing, telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. I'm a, I'm a maths guy. And when I read something like that, I start to do the maths. 50,000 pieces of silver. A piece of silver was a day's wage. So 50,000 pieces of silver is about six and a half million pounds worth of magic books. People brought their magic books. They repented, and they brought their books, and they burnt them. Millions of pounds worth. Let's just say each person, each book cost, I don't know, 15 pounds, and each person had three books. That means there were over 100,000 people brought their books to be burnt. It was a phenomenal revival just because one man is standing in a lecture hall every day that seats a few hundred people and, and teaching the Word of God. Somehow, 100,000 people bring their magic books and burn them. 
Somehow, there's hundreds of thousands of people saved in Ephesus. Somehow, the whole province of Asia hears the word of the Lord. And this is not in 20 years. This is in two years. What's the difference? I believe the difference is this. Well, let me, let me just describe what church life. If you were a Christian in Ephesus, you know what church life would have been for you? You would have met in a home. You wouldn't just go to Tyrannus' lecture hall because it, he talks many times about Priscilla and Aquila having church in their house, other people having Nympha having a church in her house, someone else having a church in his house. There were house churches, thousands of them in Ephesus. If you were a Christian, your church was a little house group. And this is what you would have done in church. Let me read you a few verses. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. So then, brethren, when you, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all of these be done for edification. When they came together, each person who came to church contributed something. A tongue, a teaching, a song, a revelation, a word. Could that have happened in a big meeting like, like the lecture room at Tyrannus? No, that was Paul talking. It wasn't each person sharing. It happened in the house groups. Let me describe to you what church was like in the Bible. And I'm just going to read the verses, a few verses that have the phrase one another in them. Listen to this. I'm not going to give you the references, just the verses. Love one another. And ask yourself, can this be done in a big meeting like this on a Sunday? Love one another as I have loved you. You are members of one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Give preference to one another. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. Through love, serve one another. Bear with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Comfort one another. Exhort one another. Stir one another up to love and good deeds. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Have compassion on one another. Have fervent love for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Minister your gifts to one another. Church is not a spectator sport. You know the rugby team? You know what church has become? It's become thousands multiplied thousands, spectating, watching a few professional players on the field playing and then criticizing those players. Saying, oh, I prefer this guy. He's a better fly half than that one. And that's not the baked Alaska that God intended. It's just not. God intended you to be a minister. <laughs> that's his intention. What happened in Ephesus? If you were a Christian in Ephesus, you were bonded together with a small group of people meeting in a home. You went to meetings regularly. You shared your gifts. You shared what God was doing in your life. You ministered. You worked in a job. And all the money that was given went to extending this kingdom. Let's share with Brother Tony. He's going across to Colossae. And he's going to do the same thing. Over. Let's give him some money. Let's share with Sister whatever her name is, Chloe, she's going over there to start a work. Let's get this message out. There's no way that Paul influenced so many hundreds of thousands of people. It's just not possible. Church 
is people on a mission extending God's kingdom and using their gifts. And if you think church is coming to a meeting on a Sunday and listening to one person talk, um, it's, it's the start, but it's not church. Not what God calls church. If anything, this is the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Let me just say that we could make this church. We could make this church, but then we would have to limit it to about 10 people. And we would have to somehow have a system where we were part of a lecture hall of Tyrannus, where there was an apostolic gift speaking into us. And we would have to start planting out lots of other little 10 people groups. We could do that. But actually, what I believe we should do is make this the lecture hall. And then we just start doing lots and lots and lots and lots of those little 10 people groups. And not just here, <laughs> in the other town, in the other city, in the other province, in the other country, because we have the internet and they never had it. My mission, friends, I could talk about this for hours, but I'm going to cut myself short. My mission in life, and I'm just being completely upfront with you, is not to propagate a religious tradition because that's what's always been done. And it's not to try and live up to some other people's expectation of what church should be like. Well, I think church should be like this. My mission in life is to make church like this. No, nothing else. Nothing else in my life matters. And so what I want to do, and because I'm the leader of this church, that's what we're doing in this church, is we're making this a lecture hall to equip us to go and do this stuff. You know, a little convert in Ephesus. They hadn't been to Bible school. They weren't qualified. They weren't ordained. They went out and they got a few friends in their house and they said, let me tell you something that I learned at Tyrannus' Hall this week. That's what they did. And then they said, let's do it again over there and let's help these guys do it over there. And we spread it, we spread it, we spread it. And the word of God spreads. All right. I'm going to can you just have a look at this little sheet that's on your chair? Please, brothers and sisters. And we've called it, the heading of this sheet is Living My Purpose in the Body. Or you could put in brackets, How to Make a Baked Alaska. And all we're doing is we're saying, how can we do this better? So, at the top there's a place for you to put your name and contact details. Then we've said to you, please would you tick the relevant boxes below to indicate where you would like to be involved in the beginning of next year. And can I just say, we're not keeping tabs on who hands this back and who doesn't. This is not an exercise in control or record keeping. This is an exercise to say, let's get this job done in whatever way we can. If you don't want to hand in this form, I promise you, that's fine. But what we're suggesting is there's Bible school on Tuesday evenings. There's life groups that are running on various evenings of the week. There's Sunday serving teams where we get together on Sundays and we can serve. Uh, that means helping with the kids' work, helping with the finances or collections, welcoming, hosting, setting up, doing the overhead projection, being in the worship team, prayer ministry. There's all sorts of ways on a Sunday that you can help. Then the next box says, start or lead a 12-week life group. And what this means is you might say, 
I am not qualified, I've never done it before, but I'd like to try and gather a few people in my home. Maybe we could just watch some DVDs. Maybe we could just look at studying the Bible. Maybe it's just a question of playing board games or cycling or doing something, but I'm gathering people to try and foster this closeness and to try and spread the kingdom of God. And you might say, I don't think I can do it, but I'm encouraging you to step out and try and do it. And then the last box is other volunteer. And we put that there because you might say, I've got time in the week. I can spare three hours on a Wednesday afternoon, or I can spare some time on a Saturday or, or an evening or whatever, because we're trying to use the website to start groups around the world. And we've got a lot of editing and lots of other work that we need help with. So if you've got time, we would love your time on that. And then lastly, the very last part of this form says purpose course feedback. Do you have any feedback for us, the elders, as a result of the purpose course? That basically means, yes, I think my purpose is this. What do you guys think? Or I believe my purpose might be this. How can I use it better? Or please, can I have a meeting to discuss what the purpose course brought up? That's what that's for. What we're trying to do in this is just foster the ability for you to use the gifts that God has put in you. So please can I ask you now, if you want to, to fill out this form. There's also a contact form in case we don't have your most current contact details. If you could fill that out as well, that'd be great. And then in about two minutes time or three minutes time, we'll take up those forms. But if you could just take a few moments now to pray about it and then fill out that, that'd be great. Maybe we can play some music, Jello. Thanks. So folks, let me just summarize. What am, I, what am I calling us to today? I'm calling us as a church to a commitment to a mission like they had in the New Testament. I've, I've just listed a few M's here. Some people think church is a meeting. Some people think church is just going to a meeting, a big meeting. And I want to say a meeting is part of it, but it's only the beginning. There's supposed to be big meetings, small meetings, lots of meetings extending to other meetings. So meetings is not what church is about. Some people think church is about a message. It's about a doctrine, a dogma. And if I can just agree with all the message, that's not it. It's not just a message. Uh, although obviously the teaching is part of it. Some people think it's about methods or traditions or ways of doing things, rituals. It's not about methods. It's about a mission. Some people think it's about ministry. If I can just get my needs met, if people can just minister to me, I go to church to, to bless me, to help me. But actually, it's not about that. You get your needs met, but it's in order to help other people and, and extend the kingdom. Some people think it's about one man. Church is about the great superstar minister who does everything. It's not about one man. It's about all of us doing what God has called us to do. Some people think it's about membership. If I can just have a lovely fellowship of people around me, a family, then I'm in a lovely church. That's part of it, but it's always with a view to a mission. The mission, the mission, the mission is what church was all about. All of those other things, membership, fellowship, message, meetings, uh, ministry, all of those were part of church, but it was always focused on let's extend the mission. Let's extend the kingdom. Let's extend churches, more groups, more churches, help get the message out. That's what church is about. And I'm asking you, you're welcome to come along on Sundays and just receive. That's fine. Nobody will ever judge you for that. But I'm asking you to consider stepping up to a new level, which maybe for you is completely foreign. You think this is not what I thought church was about. I'm trying to draft you into the ministry.
I'm trying to ordain you as a minister. Instead of having one priest and several spectators, I'm saying we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are, we are ministers together. We do this together. Small groups with big training groups, extending, always pushing forward to the mission. Instead of looking at me, I'm looking at what is God doing in the world. Let's reach out and spread. And I believe if we do that, we'll see the results that the early church saw. It'll be the real thing, the real <coughs> baked Alaska. It'll be, people will say, now that, I can see why God says church is the most amazing thing in the world. Because that's what it's supposed to be like. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> thank you for including us in this amazing thing called the church. And thank you that you trust us, even us, enough to say you are a minister. You can serve. You can extend the kingdom. Father, I pray that our church in Jersey and around the world would be more and more and more like your church in the Bible was. I pray, Lord, that wherever we've missed the mark, you would help us to adjust to keep coming back to your model and what you say we should be doing and how we should be doing it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Please, Lord Jesus, lead your church. Build your church like you promised. Not, not like we've done it in the past. Build your church, I pray. And may it be an incredible, shining light to the whole world, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening. For more information, go to leadinglightsnetwork.com.